Hello, Fungal Banter fans. Eric Sorensen here at Big Country Studios in Ellsworth, Washington. Going to be joined here by Kelly Gow and Jason Jarrett here in just a moment. Our guest today, very excited, a good friend of mine, Kyle Crustangel, head coach at Yakima Valley Community College. A really good episode here talking about his path into coaching, uh, where he started to where he's at now, a little bit about practice planning, also covering you know, the insights of how he manages his roster during some preseason stuff. A great listen. I screwed up. Tech guy, we let a farmer in charge of that, me, and uh, we missed the first little bit of the, the interview. Basically, we missed the, the hard-hitting question right away of what's your favorite fungo, and his was a Louisville slugger. And then it goes into, we started talking about his career in the coaching, and, and he's from Spokane guy, played at Ferris High School. He also played Legion Ball and was at Big Bang Community College his freshman year of college, and that's where we leave off or start off with his interview here and talk uh, a lot of fun, a lot of great interview here. Uh, excited, Coach. You know, my screw-up is going to – we're going to have you back here later this summer, talk a little more in-depth on some things, and talk some Yakima Pippins baseball because he's the Pippins coach here in Yakima. So, without further ado, let's bring on Coach. We're meeting you. That's and, right. uh, yeah, we're going to play together a couple left-handed bats that uh, just did one thing, and that was swing it. <laughs> um, but after that, I uh, transferred to Whitworth. Um, one of my best friends, dad was the coach there and had a couple buddies that were, uh, transferring. So we, I decided to kind of go back and, uh, focus, uh, not just on baseball, but also school, um, fell in love with education. I originally went to Whitworth, um, to be a business major and realized that there's no shot that I was going to be an accountant. So I fell in love with, uh, education and was able to play, uh, my next, uh, couple years there for Whitworth, um, ended up switching to coach Ramsey, who's been a big mentor of mine and uh, he kind of got me my first coaching job uh, after my uh, senior year uh, he was a coach up in Canada for the Cranbrook Bandits um, kind of a U19 team but when you're 21 years old you know you definitely take it so kind of got my feet um, you know I guess my feet in the water um, for coaching and obviously fell in love with it knew I wanted to be a coach um, got lucky enough after I graduated from Whitworth to get a teaching job in Bridgeport, kind of over by um, the Wenatchee area, Brewster area. Uh, so I went there, spent three years there. Um, actually, it was funny. When I got hired, um, they offered me the football job. So I was a head football coach, which I just took it. Uh, essentially, I took it because they didn't have a baseball team at Bridgeport. And I knew if I was around 30 or 40 um, players at a TV level, I could convince 10 to play baseball, which is exactly what happened. So the uh, superintendent, um, built us a field, bought us a, the jerseys, the whole meal deal. Uh, it's a funny story. I remember after our first games with Soap Lake, we lost 26 to zero and 24 to zero, uh, outscored 50 to nothing. And I remember looking at my assistant coach like, man, is this, are we sure we wanted to do this? And uh, at the end of the year, we had one win. Uh, my second year, uh, we had all eighth graders that year. Next year, we were all a bunch of freshmen, a couple older guys that chose to play. Um, ended up going 10 and 10, made playoffs, uh, lost to your Kittitas team over at Wenatchee Valley College. Um, after that, the next year, I think we were, I don't know, 15 and 5, um, and ended up losing again to your Kittitas team um, over there at Wenatchee Valley. Um, and then from there, I took a big leap of faith. You know, I knew I wanted to get back into college. Um, I talked to Coach Ramsey a lot. Essentially, he offered me uh, to be the sixth coach on a, on a Division III uh, staff. So I just said yes. I left a full-time teaching job to head back. Um, I had to hustle and grind and just work oddball jobs and camps and kind of all the hustle you hear about coaches doing, I, I had to do. 
Um, once I was there, I knew it was exactly where I wanted to be, which was coaching, you know, the older kids. Um, coached for one year, and uh, I made the most of it. Um, I did everything I could, um, getting my feet wet and everything, recruiting, and just kind of being Dan Ramsey's right-hand man. Um, I was coaching the Spokane Bandits at the time during the summers, and I applied for a few summer for a few jobs. I applied for the Skagit Valley job and the Yakima job. I, I didn't really know, but Ramsey was like, "Hey, you know, he was hired when he had a year of eligibility left." So crazier things had happened. Um, I knew my resume wasn't strong, but I believed in myself. I knew I had kind of the go and the hustle. And uh, lucky enough, man, I walked into the YVC job. Um, you know, I, when I took it, I didn't realize that there was 20, 20 NWAC titles. Um, probably the most storied program uh, in the NWAC. And uh, just extremely blessed, huge baseball community, arms open. I'm sure I'll get more on that later. But, you know, things that just kind of fell perfectly in line, um, you know, and a lot of credit to Dan for being a big mentor along the way, but just couldn't be any more blessed with an opportunity that was given to me at, you know, a relatively, you know, young age to be a head college coach. So before Jason talked, asked the question about the, the way you just talked about the YVC role and, and keeping that going, uh, I was thinking about this question all day today because I was really impressed with how things worked for you at Bridgeport High School. I mean, it's a small little town. It's it's not a baseball, you know, community in the most part. But talk to the high school coach who might have problems getting kids turning out. It has problems getting numbers. You were able to take a team that didn't a school that didn't have a team and turn it into one that had a. I remember you had a bunch of kids sitting over there. And yeah. Like, oh, um, yeah, I think my first year we had 12. My second year we had 28. In my third year we had 40. We had uh, a JV team and had to go play a bunch of 4As. You know, what I what I did is I, I found an assistant coach that was also young. We we're the two youngest teachers. Um, I told Brandon that we need a coach. So he coached basketball. I coached football. He also coached football with me. Um, we did all the dances, you know, not because – um, I needed the, the cash just because I needed to be around as many of the students at Bridgeport. I mean, only 200 students, um, big soccer were 99% Hispanic. So I had to find a way to get some of these kids out of others, not out of other sports. That kind of sounds wrong, but make them fall in love with a different sport. Um, so, you know, we were literally did every single thing possible at the school just so that the, we felt like the students you know, loved Brandon and I, and we're willing to give it a shot. Cause most of these kids, I mean, we watched Sandlot the first day just so they knew what baseball was. I mean, these kids had never put on cleats, you know, a lot of them work in the orchards. They didn't know what baseball was, but we were able to kind of make them, uh, I believe kind of like Brandon and I, um, and just being the young, cool coaches, I guess, and cool teachers with the music. And, uh, you know, we had to buy a lot of sunflower seeds and, and kind of just do the whole fun first year. And the year one, I told Brandon, the only thing we care about, is maintain the guys that we had. It needs to be a ton of fun. We know we're not going to win, um, but we made them kind of fall in love with the game. And at that point, you could see the passion kind of get started. So I would say increase numbers, man. You got to put yourself around all of the different uh, different students. I mean, not, a lot of these guys weren't baseball players per se. They were all shapes and sizes, and some had no business being out there. But you know, it was the love of the game that um, made them bring a buddy and another buddy. And then I mean, it was crazy. We had forty players here too. It was insane at that level. I and mean, that's. 40 out of 110 males in our school were playing baseball. No, Coach, that's great. Um, you know, you come into a position there at YBC. He's got a long, rich, rich her uh, heritage of tradition of winning and NWAC championships and everything. Those are big shoes to fill, and it seems like you're doing a great job. So what is your kind of your, your keys to your success of keeping that program at that high NWAC competitive level, staying in there, winning those NWAC championships year in, year out? 
Yeah, it's a good question. You know, I, I've been very lucky with the facilities, the AD, and the history of all the previous coaches that really set the foundation. Um, you know, so I didn't have to, we didn't have to go in there and restart. Um, for us, you know, I think it's a staff. Uh, we've been fortunate enough to have the staff that I've had. Um, Cash Ulrich has just been an unbelievable coach. Um, you know, and for us, you know, I think it's, we love the level because we get to be kind of that crutch. You know, they, they, they come from mom and dad at 18 years old. They need another, you know, not parent figure, but almost kind of that they can come in the office and maybe cry about the girlfriend and, and kind of be that sweet, big arms opening. Um, so I think that's helped. We've always thought that the best recruiters are your former players. So if you can make every single player love their experience, right, whether they were the starting shortstop or the guy that logged 10 at bats, you know, that can kind of keep you getting the best players. Um, and I think another thing is that we've, we, call it, we try to be continuous learners. You know, our way is never the right way. Um, we're to be here to be creative. Our guys should never guess our practice plan, what we're doing. If we're learning from the best and always challenging our guys um, and challenging those sophomores, you know, we know that we're able to develop them, but then keep getting you know, the best players. And it was crazy. I was talking last night to a former player, Kyle, Kyler Rudwick, um, and he, after the second year with us, he said something in his exit meeting that stuck with me forever. And he was kind of an under-recruited player. We were the only school that gave him an opportunity. He ended up being all league at George Fox after us. And he said, coach, never forget about the players that only have one opportunity. You know, it's great to have all these five-star guys, you know, being a, a top program, but don't forget about the guys. If you can find them that have the right, uh, the go, the compete, the everything, but maybe just didn't get seen or don't quite have the tools you know, those kind of are your best players. And it's been so true. Um, some of our best guys have been a guy that maybe we're the only program that gave them an opportunity. So we, we're continuously looking for those guys as well. Obviously, you know, it helps to have the guy that can really do a lot of things tool-wise. Um, but, you know, listening to your guys and having good, you know, uh, feedback from them and, and then not just hearing it, but also being able to apply it, um, you know, because it's not just my way or the coaching staff way. The guys are the ones that are doing it for nine months to two years. So if we're able to constantly change off their experience, um, you know, I think we're able to continuously better our, our program that we offer the guys. Yeah, Coach, just off that, I think the one thing that we found is is those guys that, that maybe don't have another opportunity, maybe the ones that beat down your door that you're not sure on that, hey, I really want to be there, really want to be there, and finally you kind of cave in and give them that opportunity. Those guys have ended up being some of the better players because you, you're not sitting there convincing them to buy into the system. They come in right away. They're bought in. You tell them or you ask them to jump, they say how high, and, and they just kind of go go that way. So to find those guys that really want to be within your program rather than trying to recruit them and really sell, this is why you want to be here, this is why you want to be here. If you don't have to go through that process and just give them that opportunity, it's amazing how those guys really run with that and, and really take uh, pride in the spot that they're at. Yeah, and it's so important because a lot of times those guys aren't the ones that are having 150 at-bats, but they're also the group that's able to take the guys that maybe are frustrated with playing time and have them not be cancers, but have them be all in for the squad. I mean, the year that we won it, we had five or six of the most selfless guys I've ever coached in my entire life. And that's the reason we won was every day. It was fun guys pushing themselves. It wasn't a matter of how many at-bats do I get or my scholarship. It was us competing for a championship and we won the ring and it was all we. So it's just, you have to have those guys and they're, it's, they're hard to find. They're as hard to find as the five-star guy to land. Um, but they're your gel. There's what they're, they're what make you go. I mean, some of my favorite players, the, the Tanner Tutteros, Ian Whitman's that people wouldn't know because of stat sheets are the sole reason that of where we are today um, versus where we're not today because they've, they've helped made that program. Um, and they're the ones that make us better on and off the field and, and make the team better.
Well, let's pivot a little bit. We'll talk about uh, practice planning. Um, maybe maybe walk us into a, an average day of practice for you guys. What What's kind of most important for you? I, I know we're kind of all over the map, but when you get into it, you only have a you know two, three-hour block, whatever you guys do. What are the things that are most important for you on a, on a daily basis? Yeah, I would say for us, you know, there's a lot of different styles with JUCO because there's not like hour limits and restrictions like NCAA programs. For us, you know, we want to be efficient. Um, we're a coaching staff that things want to be lined up. It needs to be spelled out. When you walk into our dugout, the players can see not just uh, what practice is, but what competition group they're on, their VP group. We constantly change those up. So they're going to see five or six things in the dugout. They'll know exactly what practice is like. I mentioned it early. Um, I still am very prideful and a player shouldn't be able to predict our practice. I like to constantly change. Um, but kind of a, a typical practice structure would be, um, you know, we're gonna have our, our run stretch as a team. I'm really big on giving them uh, um, giving them some time away from the coaching staff to kind of go just be a group and get through their stuff. Um, we separate uh, pitchers uh, two ways and position guys for catch. Um, after that, we go right into base running. Um, base running is a, a huge part of our program. We've averaged like 135 stolen bases a year. We take a lot of pride in it. Coach Cash is our base running coach. So every day, um, we're going to go through 10, 15 minutes of base running. Um, from there, uh, typically we go into individual defense. Um, we go with our position coach. We're lucky to have five coaches. So infielders can get some work with input coach. I take catchers, outfielders, the outfield coach. Pitchers are with Coach Cameron. So we kind of separate. Um, from there, we try to go into team defense, usually with pitchers, whether that's bunties, uh, whether that's pickoffs, um, 27 outs, whereas it could be a whole array of things, but some sort of that. And then into our hitting, um, you know, we've tried over the years to not be the program that has one guy hitting and 20 guys shagging, but there, you know, there's going to be uh, during VP, a guy that's hitting, there'll be three plates around the turtle. So they can go through their releases, their routines, the ball strike from behind. There could be a bunning group off a machine, a cage group, uh, another group off of a tech in the cage, and then maybe one one group out shagging um, or two with the base running group. So a lot of things going on if it's a BP day. That way there's you know 15, 18 guys engaged. And then we end probably 95% of practices with the competition. Uh, we have about 10 of them. Um, we're really big on, you know, you gotta you gotta wanna win. And there's gotta be a consequence for the losers. There's the first place. There's no second places, no preparation trophies at our program. You're playing to win. So, you know, conditioning is solely based on energy and effort, um, as well as if your team won or lost. So typically, whether it's uh, two teams for that day for competition, or if they're in like six different teams, we usually end every practice with a 20, 25 minute competition um, of something, something tracked, something that we can post the next day um, where they can see where they fell amongst the squad. And then again, if they won or if they lost. Um, but again, we changed a lot. It's not a typical setting. I like to shake it up for the guys. A long nine months of JUCO um, with how much time we have with them. So if they know what they're doing, um, I've played for those coaches. You just lose interest. We have to challenge them by our practice plan. So again, we try to be extremely efficient and have a lot of guys doing stuff. Hopefully it's two, two hours and 15 minutes. Um, if they're busting it between drills, we shouldn't have to overly condition because that should be kind of built in. I was lucky enough to come to a couple of your practices and talk about maybe you're throughout the week and, and maybe you have theme days or, or like each day of the week and how you progress on things. I know you can dive in as much as you want, but uh, I know just like the one thing on throw it Thursday or, or stuff like that. And, and yeah. talk about how important that is. Yeah. So I know like coach cash, um, I guess one thing I forgot is we do a position catch. That was something we put in two years ago. So after our catch play, you go with your position coach. So for catchers, I put each catcher at a base 
and we do like bunt one, bunt two, back picks to first, back picks to third, um, throw to second. Coach Cash has a throw it around Thursday. It's super fun. Um, they kind of know that they're competing. They uh, One guy goes in the middle of a circle, and it's just catch and throw to the next guy all the way around on time. There's a winner, there's a loser. Out Thursday, practice throwing the bases. Um, so there's stuff like that. And then, you know, we, we have a really traditional, but we haven't changed pregame practice. Every guy knows what it is. It has 27 outs in it, which uh, I think can be, it's that one drill that we do that, yeah, there's a lot of standing around. But if you watch one of ours, it's it's extremely, every guy has to yell the outs, yell the situations. You know, Coach Cash gets into the umpire. He has the all the different ring-ups and outs he can for those plays. And after we get it, um, you know, guys are fist pumping, gloves are thrown in the air. The outfooters do a little, they sit down and do a little uh, dance type thing. They shake it up like we want a ball game. So it's big time energy um, as a full squad. The pitchers have to bring all the juice in the world from over there on the side with one pitcher out. And it's, that's just, that's kind of been there for, since year one. I don't really know how it started. Um, just kind of our year one guys kind of just fell in love with it. Um, but that will go through bunt these first and thirds, um, some of the walkthrough type stuff, and then 27 outs in the BP. And that kind of leads us up to game day. So I think as the week goes on, the, if we're playing on, on a non-league schedule Saturday, Sunday, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are going to be intense. There's probably a scrimmage day. Thursday, we're easing the bodies without them knowing it. And then Friday, no conditioning. Um, it's all, everything's as a team. We're all there together. Um, and again, they, they get kind of a big energy drill because we're, you see us on a game day, we're a big time energy team. You know, if you uh, had your eyes closed, you should always know what that got the yaks are. You know, I was so, when I tried that, you know, some of the themes and, and we implemented that this season. And granted, we only had like two days of the Thursday throwing, but the kids loved it. They absolutely loved it. And we finally had healthy arms this year because we didn't have a foot of snow on the field uh, the first two weeks of practice. So, no, I think that's awesome stuff. The other thing that we've done that I think has been fun is uh, we we name every drill. Um, so everything that we have has a name. We have like a sack situation, the Canadian cuts and relays. And a lot of times it's just Coach Cash and I in the office. Like, hey, what's a name that these guys can rally behind? And I doubt the players necessarily always know that. And a lot of them are named after specific coaches or programs, but some of them aren't. And it just when they see it, their brain instantly knows what the drill is versus just going out there and doing something. Um, it's crazy how just a little catchy title, you know, when you see four of them on the sheet, kind of what that does to a player of, of knowing it's not just get through the drill, but they know what the drill is. And we kind of create our own little, uh, you know, expectations within what that drill should look like. And uh, we have this new box cutter drill that the guys love, you know, just being catchy and, and a little extra. But we've seen a lot of, uh, of our players and in our program take a step in the right direction because they can completely take their brain into the drill based on the name, knowing exactly what we're looking for, what we're going to harp on, when we're going to stop and run. And then you get to the next drill and what's those expectations? What's coach going to be harping on? What's the point of the drill? Um, you know, we really try to give the why, why we do the drill. Um, and that comes on setting it up the first time we do it. And yeah, I don't like talking all the time to the guys, but you have to, you have to let them know what's the expectation. What are we trying to accomplish here and why? And then at that point they understand. And now it's okay. Let's do it to perfect it. Not just do it to get on to the next drill. Absolutely. Coach, how, do you, how do you kind of uh, manage the workload of, of, of kind of reps between, between guys? I know that, it's sometimes harder to manage. You got some maybe redshirt type guys, some freshmen, some sophomores, starters, non-starters. How do you kind of manage that workload to make sure that one, you're preparing guys and, and two, making sure that your best nine are ready to go on a, 
on a weekend or, or weekday series? Yeah, I would say, you know, we, we don't have a lot of standing around, which helps. But if you were in our practice, you would never know. I mean, you would know based on you saw BP and who's got the big arm, but you would never notice workload who our red shirts are versus who our starters are. Every guy takes the same amount of reps the entire way. So we usually have four red shirts a year. Um, all four of those guys take just as many as every single starter. But if we can have multiple guys be doing things, I mean, if we have two Atex going for ground balls or three fungo hitters, wherever it is, it's not just one guy to where, hey, the nine guys that are going to be playing more are going to just get lost. They're still getting just as much workload as everybody else. Um, we also do our non-league completely different than a lot of programs. Um, every single guy that's a non-red shirt plays equal. So when we played our first 12 games of non-league, Every single guy would play two games a weekend. Every single guy would sit two guys a weekend. So it keeps our starters healthy for the 28 games that matter. It also lets you see if guys get hurt late, there might be a guy that has to come in and, and give major innings in the league. Well, that guy might have 10 starts and have 40 at-bats already. So best prepare. Also in March, it's super cold, obviously, and super rainy a lot of places. You know, so you're not just overtaxing your guys. And we play some teams, non-conference, that just play nine guys for four straight games. And I don't believe 36 innings in two days in, in February when we can start is necessarily best for your starters. They need some time, you know, to just get their bodies ready. So, you know, again, we're, we're different. We're extremely equal. Um, I don't want anyone to feel like they're getting less reps because of who they are or, or because of their abilities. And I think we've been able to develop and move some extra guys on maybe because of that, because they are taking the same workload. And if anything, our red shirts get more because those guys in scrimmages get to extend any, any pitcher instead of throwing one inning on a Tuesday, because other guys have to be ready. Those guys throw four or five innings and they get a ton of workload um, once a week. Uh, but again, it, it's different. It's worked for us. Um, you know, we didn't do that year one and we've moved to that model um, and we've really seen the benefit. Sometimes it's hard, you know, when you, you do, you sit a guy that's the MVP and he has to sit two games in that weekend, but it's, it's best long-term because really only 28 games in the East matter um, for us to make playoffs. And that's our conference schedule. So we're trying to use that non-conference to best prepare us. And I think when we first did it, we thought we might take a lot of L's, but if you have a deep team and a team that competes and has a lot of other things, and we haven't noticed record-wise that we've taken extra L's or anything because of it. You know, you're just balancing it up. You play with half your starters, half of We never really put our full lineup together until the first conference game. Some of that decision-making has to be tough that you go into that the start of the year and, and you're splitting time, and, and you probably have a feel for who my shortstop is, who my third baseman is, and one of those other guys might be playing at a higher level. Um, and it's really hard sometimes to manage those decisions I know at, at all levels that you got the guy that you know is the one that's going to get it done when you need it, but you got the other guy that's riding hot, you know? And so I'm sure you kind of found that maybe we need to split time a little bit more and getting into the season to really see who that guy is and, and give opportunities or maybe look for another spot to move that guy. But that's got to be tough to, to make some of those decisions when you're given opportunities to guys that maybe might not be the ones you thought they were. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I think about year one, we had a guy come in the office um, after 10 games and, you know, he's like, coach, like he had, had he had zero at bats. He was a two way guy. He was a closer for us. He had, had zero at bats, 10 games in. And what can I possibly honestly tell him of, you know, why he couldn't get it done in the game? I had no answer. And I don't, I don't lie to the guys. Um, one thing is we're transparent and he got his opportunity a few games later and then played the next like 30 games and hit like 360. Um, you know, so after that, we knew we had to. And then like, look at last year, I won't use names, but we had a guy that we thought was going to be our sophomore guy. Um, and after him and another the, the freshman split playing time, one guy was hitting 105, one guy was hitting 412. 
if if I didn't give the guy that was in 412 opportunities because I wouldn't have based on fall and winter, we would have never have known how good that kid was. And now he's going to a Division One program. Um, he earned it, and the other guy lost it. And as opposed to me being the one that just says, "Hey, Johnny, you're playing," and Bobby, you're not. It's hey, you're both going to get 50, 60 at bats. Go earn it. And it's you know when I tell all my recruits that every guy will get their cup of coffee and more. You know, let's have your playing time be won or lost on the field and in live game at bats in the spring. Versus maybe that guy that's just not a guy that doesn't – you see guys that just turn on. There's For whatever reason, the Hawaiians we've had have been complete gamers. You know, it is a little bit different in practice and scrimmages, and you get in a game and, and that game mode comes out. But if they don't get that opportunity to showcase that, you know, maybe you're not quite using your roster to the max potential. Coach, you talk about communication, and I think that's huge to a lot of coaches' success. When, you know, your players are playing for you, you know – where you lie and what's taking place. And so I want to ask you there, you know, you only get these guys for two years. Um, they're coming in for you, you know, and then they're moving on. And I think over the last three years, you've got 35 players that came into your program that you pushed on to the Division One, all the way down to NAI. But uh, just tell us a little bit, what has been your success in that in getting those players to come into your program commit for two full years with you, give everything they got, and then be able to push them on to those four-year university or colleges? It's a great question. And I think, you know, a couple things. One is we we track the tools. So arm tool, uh, exit velo, run tool, hit tool. You know, that's what the Division One coaches, when they call, they want to know. You know, they don't they care less about the batting average. Maybe some of the lower levels look into the batting average a lot. But, you know, let's say Oregon calls or Gonzaga. I mean, they're going to know what's the arm tool, what's the run tool, what's the exit elo, now what's his batting average. So we test four or five times a year. And if we see a guy is exceptional or good in three, but one or two are lacking, it's our job to, to give them a development plan. These guys have so much time outside of practice that they're trying to get work in. And I was guilty just like everybody else where I could hit the inside fastball as a big lefty. So what did I work on in the cage, the inside fastball? You know, I never really was, you know, I couldn't go off. That's something I just didn't have in my game. But if our guys can see that, hey, you run a 7-1 and you play center field, you literally have no shot at playing Division one baseball. <laughs> you know, you can hit the ball a mile and you have a 94 mile an hour arm, but you can't run. Like, you, you ha- so it's, you know, by using, being transparent there and they get to see themselves on where they fall on the team. I mean, if you're average across our team in every category, you could probably, you know, not go in Division one. But all of a sudden, you take a guy, we had a guy, Drew Van Kimsky, actually. His first like 60 time was like a 7 8. And he worked for nine months on his body and he got his 7 8 down to a 7 1 1, which is incredible. I mean, he shaved off almost, you know, over half a second because he focused his entire time on the run tool. So by us trying to best all of our guys tool wise, it makes them more ready for them to go. And outside of that, it's our coaching staff. I mean, every single coach, one through five, all has differently connected, all has different buddies. You know, we're all constantly trying to, to uh, move our players on. But I think one thing we've tried to win the title, and I probably had four Division One guys, but I didn't want to be the coach that just called about every guy. We actually sent no guys Division One the year that we won it. We sent a bunch of guys in the IAB2, um, and they all were all-league players and dominated, and they're probably playing a tad lower level, but they got to go and excel and have a great college career. And I think, you know, by us not overselling and then having guys that go to the correct levels and actually play and start, you know, it's helped us. And I think you start to get a trust from the four years. 
Um, obviously coaching in the West Coast League now, going to be my fourth year with the, the first year with the Pippins, but fourth in the league. You know, you start coaching those types of players and you realize, you know, the guy that can really play at the Juco can really play at the Division One level. And look at a lot of good rosters. Gonzaga, for instance, that team starts a lot of Juco kids every single year. Um, so again, it, it takes, it's a lot. It takes constant phone calls, a lot of time and effort. But if a guy's going to give me a year to two years of his life, the least I can do is find an opportunity for everybody else. And if we're doing a good job as a program, um, you know, there's guys that sometimes play 10 at 15, 30 at bats for us in the year. And coaches are still wanting that guy because, you know, hey, they know what it means to be a yak. And, uh, you know, we're pushing them. They know they can compete. They're going to work hard. We try to embrace Yakima and what the town is and embrace the whole JUCO kind of grind. Um, you know, there's a place for those guys to play. It's just how hard do you want to work as a coach? It's, I always say, like, I had to find – I had to get myself recruited to every college I went to. I went to two. I was the one calling. My players should never have to call or do, or do any of the work. That's my job as a coach. Um, and as a coaching staff. So I'd say we're, we're very passionate about those guys playing. I mean, four out of the five guys in my wedding were guys that I played college baseball with. And I want to give all of my guys the same opportunity that I had just to fall in love and, and make the game stop them, not you know us or, or them stop the game. You know, Coach, uh, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, we truly appreciate you taking time out to, to sit down and talk some baseball with us. I know you got to get to a dinner, but uh, – you know, thank you so much, and maybe we can have you on again this summer and talk some Pippins baseball, and hopefully there's a Pippins season. And and uh, if if people want to reach out and talk to you, what's the best way they can get a hold of you? Yeah, for sure. You know, they can email me or, or even call or text uh, 509-994-1150. You can go on goyaks.com. It has my email for YBC there. And uh, feel free, obviously, in a crazy time like this, uh, there's a lot of time to uh, grow. I know our staff has been – you know, all over Zoom calls and, and, and talking and just want to keep talking baseball and keep learning. Um, so I'm, I'm always happy to hop on, and so is our staff, just to talk some baseball. It's the uh, only way that kind of kills time. It's kind of our, our savior as uh, coaches right now is just trying to uh, just talk some baseball for a little bit as we can't do with the guys. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's helping cure the soul a little bit. Well, thank you again, and we will be right back with Kelly and Jason to wrap this thing up. All right, let's head to the bullpen. Kelly? Kick us off. The things that, that Coach brought up about just the competi- competition-based um, activities are, are things that we really like, um, try to do on a daily basis as well, um, have, have a goal in mind and, and break them up into teams and, and just kind of let them compete. Um, I know we've talked in, in previous episodes about the importance of com- competing off the field, but but practice should should have com- competition-based elements based in there. Whether you're trying to um, complete a task in a BP round of trying to hit all balls to the right side of the infield or, or in a gap or or whatever that might be, or or putting together a, a scrimmage or a three-team scrimmage, um, which I'd love to dive into at some point in time. I'm a big fan of the three-team scrimmage, um, but having winners and losers with stuff you do and, and putting something on the line. Um, field duties, uh, running a little bit. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's trying to allow them to compete in a practice setting that um, is hopefully, you know, replicates something you see in a game, you know. And I think for, for our program, we're going to try to continue to make those competitions harder, um, you know, moving the ramp up closer or going with the machine more often. Um, but making it tough on them, 
you know, if, if you have a competition, it's too easy. You get bored real quick. Um, but if the competition's harder, um, one, it's, it simulates a game setting where things aren't handed to you. And two, when you, when you accomplish the goal or you get a win, you feel like you really had to work for it. Um, and, and that value of, of we earn this win is, is something that's really hard to replicate if you don't have um, me versus you um, type activities uh, at practice every day. And, and I think the other thing that helps is really the, the culture side of things of, of allowing guys to compete together, um, learning how guys handle failure, um, one from a coach standpoint, but two from a teammate standpoint of, I need to pick this guy up. I, I know how he operates when, when he doesn't come through. Um, and, and I know how to build him up when he, when he is coming through. But if, if we can replicate stuff that is, is similar to a game, um, the true colors really come out in each individual. You know, Kelly, I agree with that 100%. You know, I mean, it's the old slogan is the way you practice is the way you play. And, and if you're not out there putting the intensity of, of the practice out on the field, you know, you can't expect that replicate in, in game like, you know. And so, you know, it even correlates with, with there's times where we'll take a practice and take 20 minutes and work at picking each other up off on and off the field. I'll throw a couple guys out of the base and, and say, okay, out three. And then, the, you know, of course, you got, you know, your outfielders running your outfielder's position, picking up the glove and hat, and same with your infielders and giving that and getting position. And everybody's in position, then they okay out three, go back in the dugout, you know, and I throw a couple guys on, on the base pass. But it's keeping that intensity all the time. And uh, I, I think that, you know, we can get sometimes as coaches, we can get lackadaisical, we can get kind of a little bit relaxed on on our efforts out there, and there's consequences in that. And I think if we keep that intensity, as like coaches talking about today, you know, and keeping that competitive level and, and keeping that intensity all the time you're going to correlate to the getting the W's and then it it ends up winning, you know, to the fact of getting championships too. And, you know, and that's, that's a, that's, it's important to our our game and the success of the game. And I I think also I'd like to add to that is, you know, being honest with our guys. I think we see a trend guys is that coaches are, who are super successful with the programs are straightforward with guys. Um, There's no BS with them. You know, they're getting, they're telling the facts, you know, they're telling them how it is. Um, and I think that that's out of respect to the player too. And I think our players respect that and understand if we know who we're playing for, we're on the same wavelength. I think you're going to get a lot more out of that, that player. And on, on to, you know, instead of being the guy that just kind of, I wonder what my coach is thinking about right now or, uh, you know, and so if you have that line of communication, you're going to be on the same way and, and you're all out there to win. I mean, that's ultimately the goal. Everybody wants to win. Nobody wants to play for somebody who loses, you know? And so, if you're out there getting W's and, and you're playing competitive and keeping that intensity going at practice and it correlates into your games, you're going to have a lot of success. And I see that's why YBC has done so well for so many years and continues to do that. Absolutely. And I guess I'm going to piggyback on off both of you that the, uh, you know, the honesty thing, uh, the years that we've had the most success, I feel like I was honest. I had kids knew exactly where I stood with them. They knew on game day, this is, you're going to be your role today and the eliminated, it, it, I saw actually a sign that eliminated the stagnant of people just kind of standing around that they knew what their purpose was that day. And we had better flow and how we do things. Uh, the other thing is competition. And, and I, I guess I also like to throw, and we've had a, people talking culture lately, but for me, competition is, is learning to compete. It's learning to uh, handle adversity and how many times 
I like to, to try to go, play as many games as we can in the fact that if we can play off a machine, we can do all this other stuff and try to gain ourselves, make a 20-game season into technically, a, you know, in, in quotes, a 40-game season if we can do those things. But also, uh, the energy of practice is awesome, especially when the competitions are matched to where they're evenly competitive with the, within the guys and their talents on the team. That it can take a, a stagnant practice to another level of a great energy. And I think that the guys that I've been through the most battles in my life with my times of playing baseball are the guys that we were the closest with. Those are the guys that are in my wedding, you know? And if I can, my goal with that is to create such, you can create such a team bond with that, that that just helps your team chemistry going on because guys have been through, they've been through the mud, they've been through the dirt. And they, they know how to, to uh, come out as a group. Yeah, for sure. I think the other thing, too, is it, just going back with that clarity of, of communication, that y- you find out things a lot sooner, if, especially at the college level. We want to know if guys are having troubles uh, in the classroom, uh, off the field, um, in their lives. You know, and, and, and it's sometimes hard to know if someone's having a bad day, if, if they don't have freedom to come and talk to you, you know, and so we try to be open door, try to find time to talk to each guy, um, to just ask them how their day's going, you know, and I think once you get that buy-in and you have conversations that are away from baseball, um, guys are just so much more comfortable in the environment. They have an idea of what you're thinking. Um, it helps with some of the chatter behind, behind closed doors, you know, that, um, if, if you're telling the same honest thing to each guy, there's no way to, there's no way to have guys pulling apart from, from the team in, in small clusters. So that transparency is, is super important, um, from a coach standpoint, from a player to player standpoint, um, there should be nothing that has to be held back and, and guys should be able to, to say what they want when they want to. You know, that's, that's such a good point because, you know, sometimes in like Jason's and my, we're dealing with, uh, what, 15, 16, 17, 18 year old kids. And you might have the same thing in college too. And in today's society, there's so much information and so much communication going on at the tip of our fingers that, that you don't know what happened to that kid that day at school. Mm-hmm. And he might just have a crap practice going on. You might just jump him for something and you're piling on to something that some kids can and can't handle. And if you can have that open relationship with them to say, Hey, things might not be going right in your life. Come tell me and I will work with you to make you work you through this so that we don't waste a day and that we can leave that problem. I can help you through it. Or you just need to vent. Sometimes you just need to vent and then we can move on with our day and you're not going to waste a single day in the baseball field. And I like to tell my guys that there's a gate that we walk into our complex. I'm like, Hey, any problems you have that day, whether it's a teacher, your girlfriend broke up with you, your dog died, whatever it is, there's a gate right there to leave your problems there. And so that you can have two hours of relief and come out here and bust your butt and be the best baseball player you can be. That stuff will be there. And we're going to be there in the locker room afterwards to help you through it. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part that we're in right now, right? Is we don't have that release. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we're just dealing with our problems and, and have no way to take anger out on a baseball at, at in batting <laughs> practice or, or let it rip in a bullpen and just let that frustration out. So, I know that's the hardest part, you know, for all of us to to not have that release, that that time away from outside pressures and outside world, and and uh, yeah, just really 
really excited for that day we get back there. It's going to be, it's going to be amazing. hundred percent, man. Well said. Well, that wraps up another episode of your Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter podcast. We will be back again this weekend. Check us out on Facebook at Fungo Banter or no North Pacific Northwest Fungo Banter. Sorry. Uh, on Twitter at Fungo Banter PNW and uh, like us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Give us a like and subscribe and maybe a comment on there and stay healthy. Take care of one another and let's get back to baseball. Go dogs.